founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Levi Morehouse, the founder and CEO of Soteris. Levi launched his first business at age 20 and has pursued his passion for entrepreneurship ever since. He earned a CPA shortly after and founded Soteris in 2008 to empower small business entrepreneurs with accounting and reporting solutions delivered through the cloud. His company specializes in cloud-based financial analytics, enabling users to focus on what matters most to their business. Soteris has raised over $20 million and has been listed on the Inc. 5000 for the past four years. Levi is a highly sought-after writer with pieces in Forbes and Accounting Today and speakers for events like Startup Grind by Google and Intuit Connect. Levi, we are so excited to have you on the podcast, buddy. Gentlemen, it's great to be here this morning. Yes, yeah, sir. Welcome. Man, let's start off how we always start off. What series of events led you, Levi, to to where you are today and to, how, to starting Soteris? Yeah, so I, at some point in high school, I got the itch, I call it, or the bug or whatever, I call it the itch, but this entrepreneurial itch where, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's America or what, or just in, inherent, but I really knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea what business I wanted to start. It wasn't this great idea. It was this internal thing. Mm -hmm. um, anyhow, I, I, as I was getting through high school, I thought I should probably go into business to figure out how you do that thing. Um, and went for kind of down this general business path. And in my second year, I had to take accounting 101. And it was something I thought I was going to hate. And then I learned I'm a nerd. And I actually loved debits and credits <laughs> and financial statements and all those things that most people hate, like in the class, everyone yeah. hated it. And I was one You're of the one person that learned that and didn't learn yeah. the opposite. Exactly. I did, exactly. I did so, hate accounting 101. <laughs> so accounting 101 oh. was amazing. And, and I decided, okay, well, in this world of business, I really like accounting. Let me make that my major and kind of go that direction. Um, after my sophomore year, I got an internship at a big accounting firm. I enjoyed it. It's competitive and really good. A lot of young people around and, and whatnot. And went in went into the firm uh, after I graduated and stayed there two years, got my CPA license. And again, it had a lot of entrepreneurial things in a partnership like that, where over time you can work your way. And it's so it's it's got a lot of things that kind of scratch the itch, but after two years, I really learned like it wasn't actually getting me where I needed to be, which was mm. to found something, to start something. I really needed to get into that entrepreneurship zone um, all the way. So I left the firm and I worked at and started three different small businesses over the next three years. Uh, the ones I worked at, I had the intention of buying out and, and essentially being my thing. And I started a few at the same time. And in all those experiences, I learned two really key lessons for me personally. One was that those small businesses weren't going to have the kind of impact I wanted, the type of entrepreneur I wanted to be. I wanted to have a really massive impact, and I was willing to put a lot into that. So, so something that could be nationwide and, and impactful. Mm. Um, secondly, I learned that in those small businesses, the founder, entrepreneur, leader of a small business spends either way too much time on their back office relative to what they should be doing or they don't spend time and then they're exposed and there's compliance problems. It's just big catch 22. You either yeah. spend the time and it's never the right thing to do. You should never be doing that when you're a five or 20 person business when you should be growing and selling and hiring and developing talent and your product and your service. 
But if you if you do it, you're wasting your time. And if you don't do it, you're neglecting something that could get you in trouble. Um, and I also learned, I actually enjoyed that time I spent doing that. And I should have been doing other things, but I liked it. So I, I kind of <laughs> learned this, I call it product market founder fit, which is there was this huge market of entrepreneurs that hate doing their books. They need them done and they need to be done efficiently. And I liked that. And I was wasting my time in these other small businesses doing that. And just the light bulb went off. And I said, what if I started the business that was the back office for small businesses in the country? Mm. This is way back in 2008, which now is like a long time ago. But the cloud was just kind of getting usable for small business at the time. Um, you know, today, this is nothing. Everything's remote, cloud-based, yeah, paperless. At the time, almost everybody's accountant came to their office and or they on a desktop piece of software and printing checks and mailing them to the government for taxes and things was it was not quite where it is today mm. but but those things were just out there so i said let's do this let's do it as a scalable kind of impact that i want solution that can yeah. be nationwide cloud-based paperless and the back office for small businesses um so that was the founding story of ceteris if you will yeah. and it was yeah. just an absolute like it was that product market founder fit. The market needed it. I loved it. I was good at it. And it was kind of off to the races from there. I got a whole wow. company story because it's been a long, again, we're a startup that's been going 13 years and doing a whole bunch of different things. But that's that's how we got to got to the foundation of the company. I love that. And I do want to actually get into to the, the company story as well. But before that, I'm just curious. We hear that a lot. I had that itch. You know, I was drawn to entrepreneurialism. Uh, what was it for you? Was there something you saw starting in high school? Was there an example of it that really moved you? Or like, wh where do you think that itch came I, from? I'm going to be the cheesiest guy you've ever interviewed because I have these influences that are all like the absolute cliche influences. Bring and it. I just can't, you know, it just is what it is. But I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in yeah. high school, a guy I really respected who was a realtor, an entrepreneur himself, uh, gave me that book. And it was just it was like a light bulb went off. I came mm. from a family of not entrepreneurs, like good, hardworking, you know, professional yeah. people that, that, but, but not this bent to, to build things and to create things. Um, and that really resonated and some entrepreneurs I knew and, you know, met from church and just whatever I, I respected and enjoyed and just started paying attention. Mm. And that just really said something to me. And it's just, I, I don't know, something's just like, building something and i'm yeah, not a physical yeah. builder and the idea of building something that exists and has life and you know takes all these things was just really interesting mm -hmm. to me but i would say that book honestly was a was a fundamental piece that kind of kicked me down that direction yeah jordan do you want to ask many questions about that i know you yeah, yeah i love the book as well but i know you really yeah, enjoyed it certainly yeah similar time frame read that book and just it's just a great mindset change you know i think similar to uh, Lencioni's book, even though that his, you know, the rich dad, poor dad story is real. It just starts off in story format and it just grabs you. And so, yeah, I certainly think that influenced Drew and I towards, um, we, we both went on the pro went on a track where we were employees. Then we, we went and we were both self-employed as coaches and kept looking at like, it feels like we want to move into that business quadrant. Like we want to, we want to level up into a different space is just in us. And so similar of like, man, where are the origins of wanting to, to go beyond just, yeah, we're, we've got a good practice that, you know, people enjoy our services just with our, our self-employed service to like, Hey, let's actually build something that is actually serving multiple uh, companies with multiple coaches 
And Rich Dad Poor Dad absolutely is one of those where you're like, yeah, that that's certainly kicked me in that direction towards uh, having that itch or even having that dissatisfaction to keep going and then starting to search for the vision for, for us. And then we, we felt like we got it uh, just a few years ago and then it started to build that way, which is, is equally, equally cool. And so for, for you, my, uh, one of my curiosities is <clears throat> where did you find the, the decision to not just start something first, but to actually make some of those purchases, um, to actually try it out. Um, did that just logically make sense to you? Did, did a mentor say that to you? I think that's a, I think that's a great step and logically makes a lot of sense, but how did you come to that conclusion of that's the path you wanted to go? Yeah. I, one thing I wish in one of your questions that we'll get to later, but is, is what I wish I had done, but mentorship is something I wish I had focused more on getting for myself mm. earlier. I've, I've got yeah. some good people that give me a lot of great, you know, that, I, that, that would fit that role today. But early on, I had this mindset that, you know, no one knew exactly what they were doing and I was going to so far smart and figure it all out. But I did have a huge <laughs> action bias. And like every day, I just remember every day walking out of the CPA firm, which is an awesome building and an awesome part of town. And I walked to my car in the parking ramp and just felt I wasn't doing what I needed to do. And that drive just made me go find opportunities and then mm, yeah. chance. And I've always just had this weird, I've learned it's weird, but feeling that the bottom, the bottom of the barrel in America is like this amazing place that's not that low. So I'm just not that worried about ending up at it. So, so going for things above it, like you just can't fall that far. So I think yeah. I've learned that's weird in me and probably to a bad extent, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so, but, but at the time it was kind of like, what do I have? There's not that much to lose in this, in this country for yes. healthy and capable. Like it's a really phenomenal place to, to take risks. Wow. And, uh, and every day I left feeling like I needed to do it. So it just really drove me to find those opportunities and, and give them a try. Wow. Awesome. I mean, dang. So those are two, those are two huge ingredients to success. One, not having a huge fear of failure, which most people do. And two, having a bias to action. Like you mentioned earlier, when I've had, I had, you know, candidly, I had to learn that that was a note to myself about three years ago was I needed to have a bigger bias to action that I was in this loop of idea, right. And sitting on ideas and thinking about ideas, uh, instead of just acting, 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 sure. getting results, learning, learning, taking, you know, um, so how cool that is, man, just to see that in you, the bias to action and the lack of fear of failure. Um, what did that look like? Not just in particular to those two things, but when you actually do start the company, what are those early years like? Um, <laughs> public accounting is like a, 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 an intense job, especially early on. You're spending yeah. 80, 90, a hundred hours a week working and grinding. And it's, it's a lot. Right. And those first few years made that look like a joke. Um, it was brutal. <laughs> yeah. It was brutal. So, so starting by yourself, bootstrapping, going yeah. from making a pretty decent living. I had a wife, I had a kid, uh, to literally zero income. I, like, I, I think I lost 70, 75% of my income the first year of starting yeah. completely on my own. So like massive, uh, it was intense and yeah. every dollar was something that I, you know, like I had this vision for building this thing to you guys' point that was bigger than me and not, but it was in the first year and a half, it was all me and mostly doing work for a tiny amount relative what my value had been at a CPA firm to yeah. get somebody to give me a try for this new thing and then kind of try to build it up from there. So it was, it was hard. It was a lot like, mm. um, 
you know, like if I could do things differently, you'd probably make it less hard if you, if you had the, the benefit of hindsight, but it was, it was challenging, but what was always that it was always building momentum. I could yeah. always see where it was headed and, and then just taking the little steps to move in that general direction. Uh, what would be some of those things? If you look back, do you think would have made it easier? I know Mm-hmm. it would make it easy. It's always going to be hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I love that idea of like the dummy tax, right. Where mm-hmm. we all pay, you know, a dummy tax. <laughs> and if we look back and go, it's possible I could have avoided that tax. Um, do you have anything like that for someone listening right now that might be in their first few years of their startup? Yeah. I mean, it's such a hard, everything to me is balanced. Like I'm so bad on these kind of things because I don't have these hard like never do this that's dumb advice and this is great advice it's all kind of like you have to balance it to your point yeah. even on a bias for action like I had too much of one a lot of people never get any you got to mm. like balance that like if you take action on everything you're chasing stuff forever and never finding something great mm. if you don't plan at all but if you plan too much you never take it you know so it's like it's balance and I would yeah. say looking back it's hard to say a lot of the things I did were just pure survival and I would have never survived without taking every piece of revenue dollar I could from anyone doing anything with that said, I think I wish I had done 30% less of taking everything. And I had selected the best 70% opportunities. Yeah. As the business has grown, I want to select the best 2% opportunities, but in day one, I was taking a hundred percent of anything that could possibly generate some revenue, Right. a little too short-term focused. I wish I'd been a little more longer term focused on the actual actions I was doing. I think mm. you go 80, 20 principle, you know, yeah. 35 hours a week, I was getting 80% of the company's value. The other 55 hours a week, I was getting 20% of the value. If I could have struck that balance a little better, it would have been a, a probably smoother way to get off the ground. So Yeah, yeah. But you're right, man. That that immediate pressure is real, right? Where you're, it truly is. It truly you're like, is. I got a family to take care of. We got food to put on the table. Like, I know this sounds good in theory, but when it comes day to day, it's hard to turn down those dollars, isn't it? It absolutely is. It really, yeah. really is. <laughs> Man, was it lonely too? Sounds like you were you were mostly a solo show for for a little bit. Yeah, I was a solo show. The beautiful thing was I was working with small business entrepreneurs. Like, okay, they were my clients, and when I was small, they were like, like very very close relationships in those cases. So that was phenomenal from a loneliness perspective. It was lonely after doing all the talking and the, doing the work was lonely because it was just me, but, but the engaging and the growing and the talking to the clients about their needs and whatnot was, was, was pretty dynamic. And I, I just, I love small business entrepreneurs. It's, mm. it's the mission of our company is to empower small business entrepreneurs to call them SBEs. Um, and so it's always been incredibly rewarding from that standpoint of just having a community of people that I am inspired by all the time at what they're doing and trying to do. And, you know, so having, being an entrepreneur that works with, a bunch of other entrepreneurs is like yeah. the dream and I get to do it every day and, and did even back then. So that was always, I wouldn't say loneliness was, was a, fortunately that wasn't one of the challenges. Yeah. Oh, good, man. Do we have us on the Jordan? Yeah, I was, uh, I was laughing in my mind. I was thinking about uh, the thing that you mentioned earlier of helping the small business entrepreneur who either spending too much time on the books uh, or not enough time. And I, and that was yesterday uh, both of those are true. Both of those are true for me. <laughs> and it became true yesterday. Uh, typically it was not enough time. So then I was spending too much time as I was like, Oh gosh, this is, this is off. Dang it. And I'm going back through, I was actually having to, 
you know, my, I was using my cloud software of QuickBooks, QuickBooks yes. online and yep. having to add old transactions that I'd thought been pulled in. And I had this whole two month gap and I'm like, Oh, junk. <laughs> and couldn't get them to get pulled back, pulled back in. And there wasn't a quick, quick way of, of doing that. And so I was manually doing it. And so ooh, frustrating. Ooh, yeah. That's, um, that's so there probably were better, better ways, uh, potentially, <laughs> but that was the way that it I did it So people never have to manually look at their bank and type something in that was Gosh. on the bank that should just be in their accounting software. It should time. be there. And so, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what was going on and why it wasn't, uh, automatically uploading. And so, yeah, I had a two month gap in 2020. I was like, oh, that's, this makes more, much more sense. But you caught and it up. You got, you got there. Yep. We, we found it out before it's too late. I guess that's, that's that, good. That's important. Yeah. It's an important thing. <laughs> but no, that's a great example. Cause that is one of the things that we've talked about with Jordan. Like how fast can we get him out of that? Right. Like as a small business, we've already noticed the same thing. Like, all right, you should, ideally you would not have to be focusing on any of this, but right now, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. going to be me. Sure. I would not yeah. have caught that two months <laughs> 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 or I would have seen him like, well, let's just roll the dice. That's a great example of, of your need. Roll the dice. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, yep. yeah, so give, uh, I'm curious a little bit, give it uh, just on the product, give us a little sneak peek of like actual product and how it, how it really delivers the result for the, for the customer. Yeah. So as we, you know, as the company went through all of its progressions, we, we learned a lot of things and focus and all kinds of these things are, are in there. We can get into that or not, but where we have, what we are with the product today is that our, our, again, we exist to empower small business entrepreneurs. That's our why back to my cliche stuff, but we, again, believe in that very strongly. Yeah. Um, and to do so, we want to provide done for you accounting with benchmark reporting. So there's yeah. two things that I think small businesses haven't typically had, or and I haven't had without paying a lot or investing a lot, and that's doing their accounting for them. So when mm -hmm. you turn on QuickBooks, Jordan, or you go to your accounting software, I want it to be done for you. You don't do it. It's done. Like you're spending money, you're making money, and there's all these systems keeping track of that anyway. Why do you have to go type into your accounting system what's already yeah. happened? So we want to just build that bridge from what happened into your financial reports. Yeah. Um, and to do that is what typically used to be a bookkeeper plus a CPA, maybe, maybe somebody in house, the founder, yeah. the owner, your spouse, your aunt, you know, we see everything in terms of who takes the data that actually happens and puts it into your financial statements. So you can understand how your business is doing, which is incredibly valuable. The yeah. time doing it doesn't have any value add. It's just, a necessary thing to get the valuable financial mm -hmm. statement. So our goal all along has been to do that for the accountant. And over yeah. time, we've gone from me doing it to me building processes and having teams to ultimately now having automation technology that we've built ourselves that does the vast majority of that, that takes yeah. data from your bank, from your payroll system, from your point of sale system, from your billing system, and automatically all the time pushes it into your accounting system. Um, what we've learned is that we have to be very, very, very focused on specific small business industries. All small businesses are not the same. And when yeah. you want to do efficient automated accounting, one size doesn't fit all. You can't be looking at the same books as a restaurant and as a landscaping business, yep. as a coffee shop. It won't tell you anything, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, so one size doesn't fit all. 
And at the same time, custom doesn't scale. Every small business doesn't have enough money to build out customized automation for their business. So we've settled in the middle where we focus on specific small business industries or verticals. And we take those, but that's where we focus our effort. We, we develop procedures and we automate those processes. And lastly, we provide benchmark reporting. So done for you accounting, which we try to do highly automated. We do have a big team of accountants, bookkeepers, data entry people. And, you know, so there's, there's certainly humans in the component. It's some, someday the tech will do it all. It doesn't, it's doing the huge lion's share now as we've built that technology, but, but ultimately we're doing the accounting. So when you go to your financials, they're done. And secondly, is our reporting platform um, gives you your financials, all the normal stuff you'd expect over time, you versus yourself, trends, ratios. But most importantly, most uniquely, is we provide benchmarked financials. So That's within cool. these industries, we may have 400 people that are you know, making subs and selling submarine sandwiches as Jimmy John's or Firehouse or mm-hmm. Jersey Mike's. And you can go in and look at how your business is doing directly compared to your peers who are having their accounting done in the exact same manner as you using our system. And now you know not only how is your business doing against how you used to do or how you did last month or last year, but how are you doing versus your peers? Mm. The industry up or down? Can That's I cool. save some money in a certain area that everyone else is already saving? Small businesses have always only been able to access that by anecdote, by the person they know that might be in the same business. And it's and they're all doing their books different. Most of them aren't doing their books, to your point. If you're yeah. sharing your data and you're missing two months, nobody knows it and they're comparing against something, you know, so having it done consistently, accurately, the same way, and then benchmarked and reported in a real time basis. So you're not, there's not a lag is incredibly valuable, incredibly empowering. It's something small business hasn't had before. So that's yeah. what we do is what we offer. The beautiful thing is it's phenomenal. It's hard to touch. The bad thing is it's in these very tight verticals. So it doesn't apply to most every small business, we have to very incrementally, intentionally yeah. expand those industries and those examples. Man, I, lo- I love that phrase. One size doesn't fit all, yet custom doesn't scale. That is that is such a great um, paradox, really, right? Of sure. you're trying to figure out, like, how do I deal with these two competing truths? That I need to create something more custom that's not one size fit all, that it can't be too custom, that it doesn't scale. Yep. It makes me think of, um, you know, some of Seth Godin's stuff on finding your tribe, but it needs to be, a, you know, because of the minimum viable audience, yep. right? Where it's got to be specific to somebody where it actually meets their need. But it's also got to be big enough that it actually is, you know, <laughs> lucrative for the business. <laughs> uh, you're not just selling five accounts a year kind of thing. Um, so what are, well, actually, before I even ask what are those verticals, how did you decide on the verticals? How did you sure. narrow in on what you wanted to focus on? So, so from 2008, when we founded the company to 2016, so eight years later, we bootstrapped and we, again, started out doing 100% of every opportunity, got a little more selective along the way, but really learned. So one size doesn't fit all, custom doesn't scale, sounds like a catchy little tagline, but it was seven years of just like feeling like a, you know, piece of iron in the fire, just getting hammered on to eventually make something kind of sharp and kind of sleek, a nice sword or something. But, but ultimately it was like, it was a lot of trial by fire, I guess, to, to get there. And in learning, we tried a lot of the one size fits all and it never did. And you ended up disappointing people or losing them or working really hard to try to make it custom doesn't scale. You spend a lot of time and you, you know, like yeah. just learn that the hard way. Um, 
and really settled, came down and focused in to your point on Godin and whatnot. You really picked a niche and we went very narrow. We said, we happened to have a franchisee in the massage envy brand. You had six locations. Um, yeah. And we said, wow, there's at the time there was like 900 other locations in the country, all yeah. owned by small business entrepreneurs. And this guy had really specific stuff he wanted and they wanted to see how they compared their stores to each other. And I said, wow, like, blah, blah. that's a vertical that is maybe just big enough to have a business to your point. Mm-hmm. Um, but also so defined and narrow that you can have that community, that tribe, that, you know, whatever mm. you want to call it. Um, so we literally ended up firing a ton of our customers um, and saying, let's focus. We also had learned over those seven years, we were going to need technology. At that time, we were hundred percent manual people doing all the entry. We we're going to need technology. Um, we we're going to need focus on verticals. And that's when we also layered in the benchmark reporting. I wanted something that made us more than just a service business. Some, yeah. It's hard to get a network effect in bookkeeping, but my goal was if you have data that people can't have unless they're on your platform, they're going to not only get benefit, but when they tell their friend and their friend is in the industry joins, their benefit goes up in addition to that friend's benefit because now there's more data to benchmark and compare to, right? So yeah. like this little network effect, if, if you will. Um, and uh, so anyway, all those three things led us to, to, to really, again, letting go of a lot of great profitable customers very sad hardest thing to do second hardest thing to do is let employees go that are good but not a good fit uh it's not hard to let bad employees go but good employees that <laughs> aren't a fit for whatever reason that's really hard yeah. worse than that is letting a good customer go who just doesn't fit where your scalable vision's going but they're mm-hmm. actually good profitable great customers so anyway i had, I had to do some of that which which was tough um but ultimately focused in on that and then we said we gotta we can we can do this kind of slowly and build something forever or we could go try to raise some venture capital and really get, go off to the races on this yeah. um and we chose to do that in 2016 so we bootstrapped for a long 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 time yeah then we raised capital it kind of changed everything about the company um and really kind of hit a big growth curve there um did you notice what kind of what kind of changes did you notice when you chose that focus when you chose to fire the customers that weren't in that, that niche. And then I'm just curious, like what, what did you experience? Did you experience a boost of focus of energy of income? Was there a lag period? Like what what was it? Yeah, there was a lag and it was, it was kind of in a few tranches over maybe 18 months that some of that went away. So had I done it all at once, I think I would have been terrified. And I I think that if I went back, I would have honestly. So like that would be some advice is like, once you make that clear decision, don't make it a slowish process to get there. Mm. Like just, just go for it. Mm. Uh, but anyway, it, it was relatively quick over, like I said, a couple phases of, okay, it is working. Let's, let's yeah. cut out of this. Okay. It is working. Now this isn't looking quite as scalable, but, you know, so we probably did it in a couple phases yeah. over a little yeah. bit of time, but, but yeah, ultimately the focus for the company, which was again, pretty small at the time, but was monumental. And when you take really good people that care, and again, they get behind the mission, they all want to empower entrepreneurs and they're smart and they care. And you let, and you focus them in as a leader, you got to focus them. If you don't focus them, you're not, you're going to lose a lot of the benefit of all those people that care. But by focusing it, it supercharged everything we were doing. Wow. Um, And in, in the growth standpoint, just focusing who you're selling to and how you're selling, how creative you get saying, this is it. Yep. I'm like, working in this little pond i'm fishing in this little pond 
the fish are there. I know it. All I got to do is keep changing the bait and testing it. Maybe I put yep. four lines in it once and I try to see what works. Where when you've got this massive ocean and you can fish for anything anywhere, you end up chasing oh, whales man. and doing other things that may or may not work out. But this just really, that focus was huge from being able to grow and, and figure that out. Um, wow. So anyhow, it was, there wasn't a long period of, oh my God, that was a bad decision. There was pretty quickly started working. Um, Mm. Had it not, I don't know if I'd be here today and I don't know if we would be, you know, maybe it was the dumbest thing ever to like, to like make that cut and change, but it turned out to be a really, really good thing. And uh, you know, it worked out pretty quickly. The positive outcome uh, started to come to fruition. Yeah, changing changing gears just a little bit. The thing that popped up in my head was thinking about the benchmarking side of things that you have the capacity to do now. And just the fact that you've been in the accounting space and you've been under the hood of a lot of companies, you know, you've been behind the scenes. The the thought in my mind was like, what warnings or wisdom would you pass along to those entrepreneurial companies? that oftentimes, you know, those are the, that's, that, that's our audience. You know, we're trying to talk to the founders of entrepreneurial companies. Some haven't even gotten started yet. And, and some are, are far past probably small company. Now they're in that mid-sized place, but I was like, what, what things uh, potentially mistakes, like do you see often, but like, how would you almost from a leadership perspective, what would you encourage anybody to, to pay attention to, or to, I warn you of this, this seems like the common thing. That's that's not maybe too granular on the accounting side, but more of a leadership principle. Uh, anything that you see see there that you would you'd pass along? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I uh, starting and having like a half a dozen entrepreneurs to work with and very closely was awesome. Now we've had the honor, you know, privilege of working with thousands of entrepreneurs, and I don't know them as well personally, but you get the aggregated that you get to kind of, kind of see things, um, and some just you know, phenomenal people and a, a lot of different tactics, strategies, personalities, reasons for doing entrepreneurship and everything, you know, kind of see, see it all within this kind of the small business entrepreneur that we, that we focus on. Um, the ones that, that I think would be, I think knowing what your definition of success is, is massive. We've got owners that own one location of one thing, they sponsor the little league team. They have staff that have been there for a tenure of average of 10 years. Same people come to work every day, go home. They've got a nice life and that's their dream. And they're making it happen. When that person gets a crazy idea that they want to own 10 locations and they really were meant to do the, to do the one really well, they end up being really frustrated and struggling. On the other side, I know people that end up there. They really want to build a, a big business and if they go in and they hire and do the same things as that person would want, and they, they're not set up to build for the 10. So I think really thinking about it, understanding that and optimizing your business for it, it makes a big difference in what you ultimately want. What do you want five years down the road? Maybe 10 or 20 is too far. None of us know life's going to change, but I think looking out five is really, really smart. And then optimizing your daily decisions to run the business you want in five years. And then be open to that changing, right? If you get bored doing the one and you want to change, then great. Now shit, it's okay to shift. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. always be thinking five years out, not five days out and not 20 years out, but like five years out and, and drive and build for that. I think a lot of people that I've seen struggle get caught in the middle there mm-hmm. where yeah. they're just chasing what they're hearing is working 
and success is different. So one of your peers, we work with a lot of franchise councils. One of your peers in the franchise has grown this huge thing. And when you talk to them, you go start doing the things they told you to do. Right. Then you talk to the person that's optimizing for a great local business. And then you do a few of those things and you're just kind of, you're not sure what you really want. And yeah. I think being more clear, I want to be an entrepreneur is great. You've already, everybody I work with has already made that decision. Yep. But what do I want my business to be? And then gear for that. Beyond that, yeah. all the other stuff you ever hear matters. You can be quiet. You can be vocal. You can be a rah-rah person. You can be super serious and stoic. Like yeah. all of those things, as long as you know who you are and you're really constantly trying to improve who you yeah. are and, and, you know, do it, yeah. then those are going to work. But where are you going and are you taking the right steps today that are going to get you there? Yeah. That is great. My uh, my father uh, once told me a story about this guy at a manufacturing plant that he worked with. Um, he had a picture on the wall, and it was a picture of a of another manufacturing plant, and it was right next to the window. And he would point to it when people come into his office, and he would talk about it all the time. And he would talk about the plant that they're going to have right next there, and it was just just this dream, you know, amazing place like, you know, quadruple the size type thing, just this, this massive thing. People come in there and just thinking like, this guy's crazy. Like, why, why is he always telling me about it? Like, I'm never coming there to talk about that, but he keeps telling me about it. And so he, 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 I would laugh about that part of the story, but like one day it happened. And so he, he told the story, like some people kind of believe that and other people didn't, but everyone knew that's the thing this try this guy's trying to get us to. And uh, I love that because we've we've uh, taken some similar practices that we've learned from from a book of like, hey, let's create our picture and you know, just bullet pointing it out so that we have those, hey, this is what it's gonna look like. It's not so far out there, you know, that it's like 10 years plus out that we like could only put like one dot and and like we think this is where it is. It's like, no, like we actually, could believe this. This could be a true picture, like an artist's rendering, um, or like a almost. I always imagine it more like a Monet painting that is like he's an impressionist. So he just sure. used these dots of paint, and you could tell, oh wow, that's you know that's a farm with you know these, these big fields, but it wasn't like just pure realism in how he was painting it. And, and I love that thought of like, yeah, how do you define success? Let's get it out there, and then let's keep it in front of people. And from a leadership perspective, that piece is what I've found is can can leak so easily. I think I heard that from somebody else, but vision leaks. Sure. Um, and I remember going, man, like from leading a company, what's really interesting is like, why does it leak? Like it, I, it never leaked for me. Like I still got it. And I'm like, I really do have to repeat this often and make sure that the key leaders get this because mm. they can you know, lose clarity just like that. Uh, which is just an interesting, interesting experience. That's like, yeah, absolutely. Define success, repeat it often and, and keep going. That's good, Levi. That's huge. No, I totally agree on that. On that last I mean, that's one. even a, that's even a, a revelation for, for a lot of us is even knowing that there's different definitions of success. Most people be like, what do you mean? Like success is success. And it's whatever's in their head, right? Sure. Like, yeah, or yeah. whatever was presented to them. And like, I, I remember, um, there's a guy named John Acuff. He's fr he's from the Nashville area. Do you know John Acuff? I don't know him, but I I, I should meet him. He's great. He he uh, he's a great author, writer, speaker for leaders, that kind of thing. 
I think he's in Nashville, maybe maybe near Franklin. I'm not he sure. was. Yeah, he was he in that area. He's not there anymore? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, but anyways, he was talking – it was an article he wrote a few years ago where his business had grown and his employees had grown. And uh, at some point, a mentor asked him the same thing, like, what do you really want? He was complaining about some stuff and stressed about some stuff and realized he had unknowingly fallen into a vision of success that actually wasn't his. That like he thought he was supposed to want scale and he actually didn't want scale. He was like, the things that I love doing the most, I'm not doing anymore because I had to outsource them. What one was writing. So he had like outsourced all the content writing to like all these interns so that he could scale the business. And he was like, I'm never writing. Like that's the one thing I want to do. And so for him, success looked like cutting like 70% of his infrastructure and his workforce, cutting about 70% of his clients and just having a, a huge margin, but small business, one that he was doing more what he wanted. And I was, I remember reading that article going, there are different definitions of success, <laughs> you know, like I have some friends that would hear that and go, what is he doing? Like he's giving up the empire. I want to build an empire. I yeah. want a thousand of what I'm doing on every corner and I realized I was, you know, maybe more similar to Acuff where, you know, Jordan and I, we want to build things with friends, have fun and kick ass. That's, that's our, our version of success. If we're doing that, we're living right. Uh, and so it's just interesting that, to, to hear that. And even it's a revelation to say, maybe I don't, maybe I don't even know what my version of success is. And maybe you're listening to this podcast, thinking about it for the first time. Uh, so good, man. I didn't expect that, uh, that advice to be first to mind, but that is, that is really, really cool. I want to know, as the company went from small, dispersed in terms of focus to focused and then starting to grow, what does the company look like now? What does, you know, the the employees, the infrastructure, that kind of thing? Uh, I know you guys just raised some capital recently. Kind of catch us up to date on where we are now. Sure. Yeah. So 2008, it was me. Uh, 2016, when we went to raise capital, we had a couple dozen employees and a couple hundred customers around the country. Uh, today, we've got a couple hundred employees and a couple thousand customers. Uh, wow. And so we've really seen really seen some solid growth on that uh, front. The other major thing that we did since, since raising the money was build this platform. So a giant majority, nine into the 90s, 90, 95% of all the activity that we used to do manually is done automatically, um, which is phenomenal. Um, we've got big benchmark sets. So the more value being provided, more empowerment being given to the entrepreneurs we work with in terms of the, the benchmarking and, and the value they get. Yeah. Um, doing a lot of really cool things. One of the thing that's, things that's come out of this last year that I'm just incredibly proud of, so I'll squeeze it in here. I don't know if it fits the question, but yeah. <laughs> um, we work with these entrepreneurs and we do their accounting and their financial reporting. And for most time, entrepreneurs don't care that much about that stuff. They want it to be done. They're happy that they feel like it's done well. But when COVID hit um, last March, last April, when they got shut down, I mean, the term unprecedented is used too much, but there's really hard to put it any other way. Like yeah. there's been slowdowns in economic pullbacks, but to just be like, you can't be open tomorrow mm. from one day to the next was truly crazy. And we had never been a big content business, right? People's books. They didn't really want to go tune into podcasts or webinars about bookkeeping. It just wasn't that attractive. Uh, so we don't have a, 
team that's set up to do that. Our marketing team wasn't focused on that. Our operating people didn't spend time publicly sharing stuff. But the, the need, our, our mission was to empower entrepreneurs. They were going through the hardest thing they were ever going to face as businesses. And we had some unique knowledge. We, we understood what was going on with PPP and government you know, assistance programs and loans and all this stuff. And if we didn't know what was going on, because no one did, we could understand what was coming out and try to research it, digest it, and push it back out. So we just started jumping on and providing content. And um, that's become a really, really huge thing that we do today. We've continued wow. it ever since. Entrepreneurs, part of it is we're, we're doing it. So we weren't doing it before, and, and we're doing it now. We're just putting this information out. It's helping our customers. It's making us stickier, more valuable to the entrepreneurs we already work with. And importantly, it's also making us visible and valuable to those we may never work with in these industries we work with, but others that may say, well, if I weather this storm, I definitely need to work with those guys because they're going to help me, you know, going forward. And it's, it's been good from all those fronts. Um, but uh, so that's just, that's a, that's a huge thing we do now. The other piece that's made that important is we're doing it, but probably more importantly is that businesses are paying attention and they care more than ever about those. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Small businesses that have gone through what we just did, I liken it to like people we knew that went through the depression, if you're great grandparents or grandparents or something, where they just treat money different than everybody else. Like they care about what they spend and what it costs and how much they're saving. And like they went through something that forever changed how they're going to operate their finances. And I think what we businesses all just went through, what the small business economy in particular just went through entrepreneurs that went through that are never going to operate the same. And they're going to tell those same stories into the future about what happened, how rough it was and why they're paying attention to their cash forecast now. And they never did before they're mm. managing what's in the bank. They're having a backup safety fund. They know what it is to have to tell your employees, I've got to furlough you or lay you off. Cause we just got shut, you know, like yeah. they're, they're, they're just ready in a different way, which the optimistic me says that's going to make a unbelievably resilient group of entrepreneurs for the next decade or two that both know how to go win and build big things and grow, but also are ready, more resilient, more able to, to, to weather, you know, challenging times that may, that may or may not hopefully never do come up again. But if, uh, you know, things come out of the blue, that, that may happen. So absolutely, anyway, companies bigger, companies better. More yeah. recently, we're putting out a lot of great content really focused on these industries we're in, really putting out information that's helpful. Truly, they can take action and decide, do I benefit from this or this? And how, how do I you know, optimize the situation in a tough time? That's so good, man. I'm curious, as you've gone from solo, solopreneur, small team, now leading a large team and organization, my question is, what has been the most enjoyable part of that, wearing that hat? being that organizational leader and what has been the most challenging part for you? Uh, the most enjoyable part is having phenomenal talent. That's better at me at doing pretty much every part of the business now. Mm. Um, and it's probably at the same time, the most challenging, right? It's cool to be the best at everything. <laughs> <laughs> it also means you're only so, so big or, or, you know, you, you, you don't have the right people around you. Um, so that's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's the same thing, having phenomenal talent where I know at this moment, 
marketing's being done how it should, sales is being done how it should, onboarding is being done how it should, the ongoing work's being done how it should, the product's being built how it should. I'm going to yeah. check in, I'm going to set the vision, I'm going to make sure the talent is here, it's motivated, make sure we have enough money to operate and everything work. you know, so I'm going to yeah. own those things. Um, but sometimes when, tough, you know, when you're having a tough week, a tough month, tough quarter, jumping in and making a sale or doing some work and making a customer happy, like is actually feels like winning. And it doesn't always feel like winning when you're just like, you know, a, a layer above it. So it can be the most challenging thing. And, and yeah. absolutely the most rewarding is to know every function of the business is in really good hands that are honestly better than you at what they're doing for the business. Yeah. And that's cool to say, and it's hard to get when you're, you know, it took, it took a level, it took a lot of years to, to get to where you can honestly say like these things are being run really well. And well, that's what I was going to say. So, so what, what would you say have been some, I know there's no magic key or like, we just applied this principle, but like, what have been some of the things that have helped you uh, attract and retain awesome talent, right? Not just good, but where you're like, man, they're awesome. They're awesome. They're awesome. What, what have been some of the keys for you guys? Yeah. So, I mean, we've done all the normal things of compete on everything people compete on. You know, obviously you've got compensation and you've got work environment and you've got perks and all these kind of things. Um, you've got growth when you hit the Inc 5,000, you do some of these kind of things like it, all of a sudden it's more attractive, right? Um, what I've learned, it's unfortunate. It's not easy. It's not, but is winning is attractive. Mm. Um, success is attractive, not flashy. That's, that's attractive for a minute, but maybe it attracts the wrong persons. The, the ink five thousands and the free beer and ping pong in the office and all these things are, are cool. They're flashy. They will attract people, but it, mm -hmm. it, it, and they, they're not bad. They're, they're generally not bad. They're, they're good, but you need something underlying that's way better. You need clear attainable objectives that are hard mm -hmm. that you're hitting more often than not. And that's going to yeah. keep really good talent. Wow. Forward. When you set too lofty of objectives and you start coming up short, you're going to start losing people. You're going to struggle to attr attract the people. Um, so I think, honestly, the, the other things could, could be there or not. I think when you're winning and succeeding by setting goals and achieving them, or achieving, you can't achieve them all. If you achieve them all, you're setting two easy goals. But right. you're consistently achieving the majority of the goals you set, you're going to build like a talent crew that's really hard to dislodge and it can grow the best way to get new talent is when your existing talent's really good and they want more talent they're going to yeah. help you find ways to get good people in the door um you know you can try to go be the dynamic person that brings them in and that can work but more long-term resilient the person that got attracted to you because you were the hottest company in a small town for a minute or you were on a, you know, they, they saw you somewhere and it seemed cool is probably looking for somebody else that looks really cool in the future right. as well. You know, right. so it's like this, it's hard to be the coolest thing all the time, but you can be a really consistently successful thing all the time. It's hard to do as yeah. well, but I think it's easier than always being the coolest place to be. Yeah. Um, so just winning or success, you know, is, is really the answer to talent retention, which I think is the right answer to talent attraction. Yeah. Man, yeah, it makes me think about rearranging the deck chairs of the Titanic, right? Where it's like, at the end of the day, if the business isn't working and it's slowly sinking, then yep. all we're doing is making people comfortable in a losing business. But if you've got the main thing, which is like, hey, like we kick ass, which is one of the biggest drivers of anybody who's going to be top talent in anything, 
right? Mm -hmm. Like there's some competitive part of you. There's some part that like actually wants a challenge. We were talking about that maybe on another podcast where like you can bore your people if you actually do have talented people and mm -hmm. you're afraid to put pressure on oh, them. Oh. Like, no, they kind of want it. They're like, give me something impossible. Give me, give me something to go after. And then we want a scoreboard. We want to know, did we hit it? Do we not hit it? Right. And then when you surround that with cool stuff, well, man, now you, you've created a dream, but sometimes we start with the icing, you know, exactly. Like, and now, <laughs> and now everyone's using different icing. Like, well, they gave you a scooter, but we gave you a motorized one. And they're like, Hey, it's hard to pass up. <laughs> Like if we're going to be bored at work, we might as well be on a motorized scooter versus I actually am engaged at work. We've got a really challenging task ahead of us. I'm putting all my energy into it. And when I pick up my head up, it's nice to have a scooter, but that's not why I'm here. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It's a fascinating answer. I absolutely. Yeah. No, I totally yeah. agree. I love that. Cause the reality is when you actually are describing your culture, truthfully, you're not talking about snack bars and beer carts and ping pong tables you know, you start getting into that. Do we have a culture of winning? Do we have a culture of accountability? Do we have a culture of empowerment? Uh, do we have a culture of ownership? Like all those that I reeled off, like those are the ones we all often hear. People are like, help us get that. Like, you know, we're, we're struggling. We want some of that. One of those is one they're like, yeah, we, we need some more of that. We need that culture of high performance or something. Like that's the cultures that the entrepreneur wants to be around. And that's where the, you know, the high performing people, they want to be in that, in that space too. Uh, that's phenomenal. I really like that. Completely agree. Man, what would be the biggest, uh, well, we can do it one of two ways, either the, the biggest growth curve for you personally as the leader or the newest, right? So it could be something that's just fresh on your brain that you're like, man, this is kind of where I'm leaning in and evolving as the business is evolving, sure. or sure. you can look back and maybe it's been the biggest kind of growth arc for you. Yeah, I think, I think for me, and again, I, I like how you frame that because the things of the past, use your ancient, like what's in my mind today is what I'm going to answer with. So you, yeah, you may have okay. <laughs> yeah, a year ago, I may have given a different answer. I, I can't tell this you. This is that. the biggest. It happens to be the newest. <laughs> it's, the newest. <laughs> it's big and it's new. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it is that, that as you, as you grow a company and scale a company that your, your, the vision you set versus the reality that can be achieved, that gap has to start to tighten. Um, where early on, you just set something huge. And if you chase it really hard and you come anywhere close, you're making massive strides. Yeah. And as we grow, we have a bigger team. And once a bigger team by nature is a less, is a more risk averse team. Like people that are part of bigger companies are not looking for a five person startup that may fail in three months. You know, they're looking for, a little more stability. They still want, like, we're still very small, very much a startup, but, but they're looking for something a little different. Your investors, your board of directors are looking for something a little different early on. They want just a crazy target because they know everything's new and we're going to like, just try to make progress. As you grow, it's like, you, you got to set things that are a, still ambitious, but a little less so. And then you got to actually come really, really, really close to yeah. nailing them. And yeah. again, it doesn't just go for one of your constituents. It's for all of them. So my curve has been it's I was naturally the set the crazy ambitious goal and go chase it with a small scrappy team and just and, and do awesome things. And as I've grown, I've had to keep honing that in and say, okay, everything you say, people take it more seriously. It matters more. So a flippant remark about some crazy big ambitious thing is still fine. It can be a little motivating, but in general, most of your time has to be focused on ambitious goals that are a little more 
rooted in reality. You got a clear path to get there and some of those kind of things. So wow. scaling up just kind of the Delta between the vision and the tactical steps to get to it has to kind of tighten a little bit, man. Yeah. I've actually never heard it, heard it, heard it, uh, phrased that way in terms of when, like at what stage of the business and how you would feel about what you said versus what you got. But you're right. Like early on, you hear that phrase, you know, if we shoot for the stars and we hit the moon, we're happy. Right. Yep. And it, that's true. You're like, man, like, I know we shot for the stars, but like the moon's pretty cool. But you're right. Later on, they'd be like, that's disappointing. You told me yeah. we're going to go to the stars. <laughs> I don't want to be on the moon. I want to be at the stars. Right. And so you, you have to get more accurate. It makes me think of that aim small, miss small, right. From um, the Patriot. I don't know if you remember that movie back in the day with Mel Gibson, but that yeah, was yeah. like, he's teaching his kids to shoot. And it was like, aim small, miss small. Like, don't just try to hit the body. Like where exactly are you trying to hit and don't miss by much. Right. Yeah, yeah. I love and that. I love that. I think that's what, what you're what you're talking about as well. So it's just interesting the psychology, even of your culture, how they would feel around you as the visionary, you as the person telling them where we're going, and it depends on what stage of the business you're in. That's that's awesome, man. Yeah, absolutely. Your your aim for the stars to the moon. I was almost going to say that as I as I laid it out. So we're yeah, <laughs> we're on yeah. the same page. Bro. Well, because I hear it all the time, but I'm like, yeah, that would that would change, you know, in the position, in the position you're in, that's not, that's not acceptable anymore. <laughs> you don't get so to have true. that big of a miss. So true. Awesome. Man, so, uh, what are you, what are you learning? Right? It's kind of in the same vein, but like, what are you learning right now? What's the book you're, you're reading? What's the podcast you're consuming? Where's a place that, that you're going? This like, this is, this is fun. Uh, and kind of grabs your attention. Sure. No, it's a gr- great question. Um, I, uh, I love reading biographies, uh, yeah. autobiographies of people in history. So right now I'm reading about uh, Andrew Carnegie, um, but that's in a list of, I don't know, a couple dozen of these that I've read over the last couple of years. Interesting yeah. one, a good one. Genghis Khan I did recently. That was, that was interesting as well. Oh, so did, you do, did you do Khan of Golden's one on Genghis Khan? Yeah. Dude, he's awesome. Have you read his series on Rome? I haven't. No, I, I get will, it next. I will check that one out next. Oh, it's unbelievable. I just got finished with it. It's so good. Dude, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> uh, podcast, all kind. you know, I'm, I'm keeping up on the, I got a whole list and I don't yeah, know your top day, three, but my favorite is zero to 5,000, but you know, there's a whole list. Right. After Let's go. <laughs> yeah. right, well, there are a lot of other good ones and then we just surpassed all of those. So I, yeah, exactly. A lot, a lot of good stuff for a lot of big time guys, but you guys are a lot of people landed on the moon. <laughs> if, you, if you pulled up my podcast app right now, burn zero to 5,000 is literally on there. Right on. there so. No, it's honestly, you guys do it phenomenal podcast i love it and awesome thank you really impressive yes thank you brother well the people like you that's it that's it you're one of them (laughs) you're one of them (laughs) hey man if if anybody learned anything you know accounting can be fun i think that's what they learned today that's right that's right (laughs) that is awesome bro uh man let's head to this lightning round man i got five questions for you and uh question number one if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization what would it be? So the one message for us is we call it the 1% rule. And it is every single Saturday, 
we've got it like we need to move mountains as a company to achieve our BHAG, which we'll get to and all that. Like we got to make massive strides. We're going to be a lot bigger and a lot better than we are today. Yeah. And it's overwhelming to think about the gap between where we are today and where we ultimately want to go as a company. But the mm-hmm. only way we can get there successfully, repeatedly, without burning out is by being a little better every day. So our 1% rule is, I ask every single person in the company, can you be 1% better tomorrow than you were today? And yeah. 1% better the day after that than you were that day. Can you do something a tiny bit faster? Can you be a little more friendly? Can you remember learning from the day before something you would do differently? Don't yeah. be 10% better. Don't be 100% better. 1% better. And if every single Saturday and every person in our company acts that way, we end up with a it's exponentially bigger yeah. and better business. Yeah. But it's focusing on the tiny improvement and not getting overwhelmed with every single role and in the company we're small and we're scrapped is not where they want it to be. They've got a vision for yeah. the role, this department, the company in total. And it's a long ways from where we are. But if you just focus on that little bit, and it's honestly a thing that you know yourself if you did it or not. Some days you mail it in and you, you were yeah. worse than the day before and you kind of know it. But I want every setter right, to come into the office or walk to their desk in their home or wherever and, and leave and just ask that question. Was I 1% better? And, and be honest. And if almost every day of work you are, like we're doing some phenomenal things. Yeah. So Interesting, like a theme that's certainly come up from the things that you've shared is like being having clear vision, which means being nearsighted and farsighted, you know, like to have 2020 vision, you have to have both. You can't just, you know, be able to see what's out there and not be able to focus what's here. You got to be able to, to do both of those things and, and tune in and out of focus really well. And I think that's a, a lesson that hasn't necessarily been touched on specifically in our podcast, which I think is, is fantastic. Um, but yeah, I think that 1% is like, Hey, are, do you understand like what's in front of you? Just that 1%. And are you inspired by like what's out there? Like that picture, do you see it? Let's get it. Um, That's awesome, man. Uh, Question number two, what's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? Uh, Play long-term games with long-term people. And it's actually a, Naval is a tweet, I think, you know, so it wasn't like personal advice someone gave me, but I just thought that was absolutely phenomenal. Play long-term games with long-term people. Yeah. Even when you raise money and you're in a startup and everything feels like it's going to move fast. Like you've got VCs and they're going to need to do something in a few, you know, like everything's moves fast, but never, ever, ever try to make the game short term and absolutely never take a chance on somebody because they're a short term boon, but they're not in it for the long haul because everything's going to take longer and a little problem with somebody that's not in it for the long haul is going to be massively painful and hard. So long-term games with long-term people. Love that, Levi. Uh, what causes you the most worry leading your organization? Uh, the most worry is, again, I touched on it, is not doing the tactical things. I Again, another tidbit I got along the way in, the, in a blog I follow or something is this: the founder CEO's role is to set the vision to ensure there's talent and to ensure there's cash. So it's vision, talent, and cash. And yeah. my worry is all as those things rotate. My worry always sets on one of those three things, right? And then I zero mm. in and I get it to where I feel good. And I'm always worried that I'm neglecting a little bit of the others in that in, in that pursuit. So when it's focused yeah. on how do you how do you take care of your talent in this crazy distributed environment that we live in? And then you forget, oh my gosh, everybody's for to your point you made earlier, everybody's kind of forgot the vision. Like you have to reset it, you have to reinforce it, you have to go, mm-hmm. go, go. Um, so 
my, my worry is always two of those things aren't getting the attention they need when I'm kind of lasering and really putting my major energy into one of them. As long as yeah. I keep rotating it around and try to keep it, keep it working, you try to keep it going. But I'd say at all times, I'm worried about two of those three that, that I'm not actively working to improve and make better. That's good, Levi. Uh, what, what is the BHAG? What's the Big Hair Audacious goal right now? So the BHAG would be to empower 10,000 small business entrepreneurs. Um, and, you know, that's a that's uh, the way we work. They tend to be multi-unit. That would be almost, if you spread them across the country, almost a business in every city in this country. There's 33 wow. cities. And that to me would be cool where employees, customers, and everything else are being touched by the empowers that, that by the entrepreneurs that we're doing a small little piece to empower and make better operators, better entrepreneurs. Heck yeah. Uh, number five, if you could hop in into, uh, into a DeLorean, you're going to go back to the future, uh, go back to your past, shout one thing to yourself from the driver's side window. Uh, when are you going back and what would you say to yourself? So I'd go back to, 2008 and i think i would simply tell myself and it gets to what what drew was asking a little earlier but in that balance of short-term survival decisions and long-term efficient scalable growable business decisions skew a little more towards that long-term view mm. off of that um not not all the way that you would die without a lot of short-term focus but skew a little have a little more confidence in where this is going and don't settle every day to take the lowest hanging fruit when occasionally you got to go up a little higher to get, to get something a little tougher. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Levi. Love well it. Done. Your 2008, you might be a little confused when you roll down the window and just say skew to the long term. You'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You'd be like, what's that guy talking about? <laughs> Where'd you <laughs> come from? Today. <laughs> <laughs> give me some, give me some context. What are we talking about? <laughs> i gotta learn gonna, economy words <laughs> <laughs> that would be my problem i'm so long-winded i wouldn't get out enough in five seconds and my younger self would just be confused like oh that was weird <laughs> by my love <laughs> yes <laughs> I love it oh man thank you so much levi for being on the show this is um this is so fun, man. To, again, to, we've had so many businesses like yours that on the surface, you're like, how, how interesting is accounting going to be? Right. And then you realize like, man, when it's done well, it's valuable. Like the only reason any business is successful is because it's truly valuable, which is always interesting. And then the journey is often very similar. A leader of a business is a leader of a business, right? Having to grow and their leadership capacity and the decision-making matrix they're, that they're using and those kinds of things. And man, you pass on so much great wisdom. You are uh, one of the awesome guests that we are excited to have on the show. So thank you for making time. Thank you for showing up. Uh, you obviously prepared and have given us just some great insights and wisdom, buddy. So thank you. Awesome. Appreciate being here, guys. You guys love the podcast and glad to glad to be part of it. Yes, yeah, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.